0: As you may have been able to tell from the psalm that we just sang, that Psalm 54 is sort of a trouble psalm, right? A, a, a psalm of David being in trouble and then singing this song, this prayer uh, to God requesting his help. And, and the troubles that David found himself in were many, right? Right? If you have spent much time reading about David's life, you know that he just went from trouble to trouble to trouble to trouble. And then he was the king and things looked really good, and then he went from trouble to trouble to trouble after that. But but the context for this psalm is David has had a falling out with Saul, right? So David has been anointed to be king. Samuel, that great prophet, came and and said, uh, David, you're going to be the king. And he anointed him, but he's not king yet. Saul's king. And Saul can see the handwriting on the wall and can tell, David's going to be king. And he feels threatened by that. And he doesn't want David to become greater than he is. And the more that David is helping Saul win and be a good king, the more Saul feels threatened by David. And so Saul begins to chase David and to try and kill him and get rid of him. This is his most faithful general, his most most faithful person. Now Saul is chasing him all over the place, trying to kill him, and and uh, so um, David hears about th- th- this problem um, where the Philistines are attacking, and he goes down and he saves this city from the Philistines who were attacking them. And uh, Saul hears about it and goes, "Aha! I know where David is. I'm going to go kill him." Isn't that crazy? David's protecting the people of Israel from their enemies, and so Saul takes this as an opportunity to go kill him. Well, David hears about it and quick runs away, and Saul begins to like look around for him. And the Ziphites say, oh, hey, he's over here in the wilderness of Ziph. Hey, Saul, Saul, we found him. He's in the the wilderness of Ziph. Come over here. And Saul goes, okay, but David's really cunning and he hides a lot. So you find out exactly where he is so that I can come and get him. And the Ziphite said, oh yeah, we know exactly where he's right there on that mountain. And so here comes Saul with his army and David's got his men and Saul comes to this mountain and uh, he's going around the one side of the mountain as, as David's coming around the other side of that mountain. Like, you know how you, when you're playing tag, you've got... You've got that thing, right? And you're doing one of these things. That's what Saul and David are doing. And Saul's beginning to close in, and David sees that, oh, this is going to happen. And then all of a sudden, there's this attack from the Philistines again. And Saul has to leave now to go take care of the Philistines. Um, so he leaves David B. And David is looking for help. And you, uh, if you were here last week, you may have heard uh, the story of Nabal and Abigail. Um, because Samuel that great prophet again he died and 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 David is looking for uh, some help and he goes to Nabal uh, that fool and says can you uh give me some food for me and my men we're really hungry and uh Nabal goes oh no I'm not going to do that but his wife Abigail helped him and right after that the very next chapter then uh, this is all in 1 Samuel 23 24 25 and now we're 26 in 1 Samuel 26, um, after he gets a little bit of help from Abigail, uh, David and his men are, are uh, hiding again. And uh, the Ziphites go, hey, hey, Saul, uh, David's hiding in the wilderness of Ziph again. And so Saul comes down to the wilderness of Ziph again to go and find David and to attack him. and that, that is the heading on the psalm that we're looking at this morning. So in Psalm chapter 54, it says, This is a psalm to the choir master, with stringed instruments, a maskill of David, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, Is not David hiding among us? Is not David hiding among us? That's the context for what's going on here. And this is the psalm then that David writes. Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness put an end to them. With a free will offering I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. This is the psalm that, that David uh, writes. He begins by just crying out and saying, Oh God, save me! Save me by your name. God, save me. You've found yourself in times of trouble. And you just think, I don't know what to do about this. God, would you save me? Would you save me? I I know that not all of you have been chased around a mountain by your enemy who's trying to kill you. But you've been in other kinds of trouble, other kinds of difficulty. Where it seems like people are against you. Like they turned against you. Or where the circumstances of life just—it feels like I don't know what is going on, but everything seems to be crumbling and falling apart around me, and I don't know what to do about this. And so you just cry out and go, "Oh God, would you save me by your name? Would you save me?" It's interesting to me that that David says, "By your name, would you save me by your name?" When I'm thinking about needing saving, I want ability, right? I want power, I want authority, I want somebody who's able to... I, I would more like, God, would you save me by your might? Would you save me with all of your resources? God, would you save me just because you're like, awesome? Awesome. And and David says, God, would you save me by your name? The name of God. He's going, I know who you are. You're not just any God out there. You're my God and I know who you are and I know what your character is like that is represented by your name. And so that's what I'm, what I'm calling to. Lord, would you, uh, save me? Vindicate me by your might. He goes there. Would you vindicate me by your might, by your power? But he knows that God is powerful and God is mighty because of his character, because of who, uh, the Lord is. And then he says it again. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. Would you listen to what I'm saying? Which doesn't seem like the kind of thing that we should have to say. Right? That's why we're praying. It's like when you you call up your best friend because you really need to talk to somebody and you call them up and, and you say, Okay, would you listen? Yeah. I'm your friend. I'm on the phone and I answered the phone the whole reason we're talking right now is so that I can listen. And go, you go, no, no, but would you really listen? I don't want you to think about what you're going to say. I don't want you to think about what you're going to uh, respond to. I don't want you to be distracted by anything else. I just, I need you to listen right now because this is super important. God's not distracted when we pray to Him, when we cry out to Him. He's not thinking of what he's going to say and not really listening. But yet David says this anyway. God, hear my prayer and give ear to the words of my mouth. As the words come out of my mouth, may they enter your ear, O God, so that I know that you're listening, so that I know that you hear me. Do you believe that God hears you? I'll give you an indicator on whether or not you think God hears you. Are you praying? If you're praying, you're probably praying because you think God hears you. And if you're not praying, it's probably because you don't think God hears you. You wouldn't admit that, not in church anyway, and say, oh yeah, I don't think God hears me, so that's why I don't pray. You know, you, you've, you've seen the Bible, you've heard other people talk about how God hears them when they pray, but it, it doesn't feel true, right? It doesn't feel like it to you that God is hearing you and so you don't pray, and so you find yourself in situations and you're getting frustrated or you're getting um, worried or scared or something, but you're not going to prayer because you're not really convinced that God will hear you. Or if he does hear you, that he will care or respond or that in some way there would be any purpose or significance in your praying. But David knows who God is. David knows the character of God and so when David finds himself in this place of trouble where his enemies are chasing after him, he goes to God in prayer and he says, God, would you hear me? I'm coming to you and I'm crying out to you. And David knows, because he knows the name of God, because he knows who God is, David knows that yes, God will hear him. David's had so many different experiences already where he's cried out, In faith to the Lord and seeing the Lord deliver him. I mean, when I've talked about uh, David having this trouble over and over and over again, just trouble after trouble after trouble after trouble. What that has meant is that time after time, David was able to cry out to God and see God respond. And show himself to be faithful. Faithful. And so David begins this psalm, this prayer, by just crying out and saying, Oh God, would you save me by your name and vindicate me by your might? Oh God, hear my prayer and give ear to the words of my mouth. I'm just starting off, Lord, by trying to get your attention as I'm praying. Because this is bad, God. It's real bad. And I need your help. Let me tell you what the problem is. Verse 3. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Now it's interesting. He's in Israel. The place where God's people live. He's in Ziph. Which is in the area of Judah. Which is where David's from. He's hiding in these areas, these wildernesses, because very likely he's brought sheep back when he was a shepherd boy into these very same areas. He knows this place. This is home to him. He's there because this is a a place that he can feel comfortable and confident when he goes there. Now think about that. So then who were the Ziphites? Those are the people that are his close neighbors. And they're the ones that are going, hey Saul, Saul, we found David, he's over here, we know where he's hiding, we know which cave he's in. So now when David says, strangers have risen against me, he doesn't mean people he doesn't know. And even though this word is normally used of foreigners, people who are not God's people, what he's saying is, look, these ruthless men are seeking my life because they don't put you before themselves. They're not thinking about you in the things that they're doing. They're thinking about themselves. That's what makes them strangers. It's that they're ruthless people who are not thinking about the things that God wants. They're thinking about their own business. So just like Nabal was looking at at David and David said, hey, can you help me? And Nabal goes, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm siding with the king. I'm siding with Saul. The Ziphites are doing the same thing. They're trying to, to get in good with Saul by handing over David. one of their own kinsmen. They're trying to hand him over because they think, you know what? It'll go better for us if we just tell Saul where he is. And they're not considering the things of God. And because they're not considering the things of God, they're not working in God's economy with God's priorities. They're considered Strangers. Foreigners almost. Enemies of God's anointed one, God's chosen one who will be king, and therefore enemies of God himself. But not David. David knows who his God is. He knows the name of his God, and he's calling out and he's saying, Oh Lord, behold, Verse 4, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Some of you need that right now. This is perhaps the biggest understatement in all of Scripture. Behold, God is my helper. He helps me. Yep, when I need help, He helps me. You know, things like when I need my life upheld. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He's the one that holds my life in his hand. So I guess you could say he helps me. David's crying out to to him and saying... Behold, God is my helper. He's the one who is right there with me, the one who walks right beside me, who knows about my need, who cares for my needs. When I'm, when I'm in the position where I'm going, I can't take care of myself, I need somebody to help me, the first person I think of is God because He's already right here and He can help me. He's the one that's upholding my life. Without Him, I wouldn't exist. Without Him, I would have nothing. Behold, God is my helper, the upholder of my life. Do you know that even in the midst of turmoil, God is upholding your life? Even in the midst of all of the trouble, when it feels like the world is crashing down around you, God is upholding your life. That's why... That's why David can call out and go, I know who my God is. I'm crying out to you and I'm asking God, would you listen to me? Because I know that you are my helper, the one who upholds my life, the one who is right there with me. And sometimes I think that we need to be reminded of that because that's not how we feel. When we're in those times of trouble, when the circumstances around us are swirling, what we're tempted to say is, God is not hearing my prayers. God is not with me. I am all alone. And it's a lie. You are not all alone in your troubles. You are not all alone with your fears. You are not all alone to try and do this by yourself because God is with you. God is with you. And He, even now, is upholding your life. Even now. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. One of the things that I was thinking about when I was thinking about this idea is uh, strapping in for one of those fair rides or a roller coaster or something. And I, I love those kinds of rides. The ones where you go really fast and turn corners and flip upside down and things. I, I think they're really fun. I think they're really fun because I am confident that that five-point harness that I strap on when I get into the ride is going to hold. And so it's just a fun ride. But if I was nervous that somehow these things were not going to hold and I would come flying off the ride or the ride would break, or there would be some sort of mechanical failure or something, and I was going to come crashing down because this whipping around the corner was not just a fun exercise that we were doing, but rather us on the brink of death about to fling ourselves into certain death, I would not be having any fun. But David is confident That when he's strapped in for this ride, whatever the turmoil, whatever the trouble, whatever the problems, the belt is going to hold tight and nothing is going to fail because the Lord is upholding his life. He says, the Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. God, you are the one who is upholding me and there are people who are against me and so would you just flip the script on them? It's interesting, in the, both of these circumstances where, where uh, David was hiding in the wilderness of Ziph and the Ziphites went, hey Saul, he's over here. Then Saul came down to attack David. And the first time he chased him around a mountain and then got distracted by the Philistines, but then he came back and he found him. I, I should say, was found by him. Because he went and he got really close. He knew David somewhere here. I'm just not exactly sure where. But he needed a potty break and so he stopped at a cave where David was hiding in the back of the cave. And there's Saul in the front of the cave. Can't see into the darkness that David and all of his men are hiding in the back there. And all of his men go, Hey, look at what the Lord did. He delivered your enemy right into your hands. And David said, No, no, I'm not going to do that. Watch what I'm going to do. And David sneaks up behind him and cuts the corner off of his robe, and then sneaks back into the cave. And when Saul goes down and is with his men, comes out of the cave, goes down the hill, and is with his men, David comes out of the cave and goes, Hey Saul! You know how everybody told you that I'm your enemy? I could have killed you just now because the Lord put you into my hand. Here's the corner of your robe, as evidence... But I am trusting God, and I will not do this. And Saul goes, oh, you are so much more righteous than I. I'm sorry, David, my son. I should not have done this. I'll leave you be. And two chapters later, the Ziphites are going, hey. Hey, Saul. And Saul's like, forgot about that little episode down in the wilderness of Ziph with the whole robe thing. And so here comes Saul again to kill him. And he camps out. And David hears about it and he sees the camp. And so David and one of his men go sneaking into the camp because even though they're chasing their enemy, they all fell asleep. And so he goes right down into the camp and he takes the water jar that's by Saul's head and the spear that's right next to him and he picks him up and he walks out of the camp again. Meanwhile, the guy next to him is like, you could just take that spear and pull, oh, man, we'd be done. And David's like, no, no, that's not how this is going to go. That's not how the Lord is going to deliver me. I'm going to let the Lord deliver me. And so David comes back out. And right there in the middle of the night, he shouts at him, hey, wake up. And they wake up and they're ready for battle. Because even as this kind of a surprise attack, we'll defend ourselves and we will kill you. And then uh, David goes, hey, how come you're not protecting your king? They said, what do you mean? He's right here. And they said, oh, I know. Where's his spear? Uh, where's his water jar that was right next to his head? Uh, hey, Saul, I've got him over here. If you want him back, just so you know. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. Isn't it interesting that they could have, David could have put an end to his enemies right there, but instead he knows God will take care of that. God will take care of that. I don't need to take vengeance on my enemies. God's going to take care of that. God, the one who is the upholder of my life, He's going to take care of that. He will vindicate me. He will defend me. He will protect me. He will uphold my life. Whatever is going on, whoever is after me, even if it's the king and the king's army, God will take care of me. And so in verse 6, he begins to turn that prayer and that crying out to God and focus it forward. So he started off by saying, this God, this God is where I'm at right now. These are the troublesome circumstances that I find myself in right now. And this is what I need. And then he expresses his confidence that God will do those things. And so now he's looking forward And what he says is this in verse 6. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. He's looking forward and saying, God, after you answer my prayer, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to praise you. I'm just going to praise you for all that you have done. He has such confidence in his God that when he prays, he's saying in advance, when you answer, not if you answer, but when you answer, I'm going to praise you. Right now I'm in trouble and I'm crying out, but I know... I know that you are faithful and there is going to be a time when I'm going to praise you because of the way that you took me through this. It's really hard sometimes to praise in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the struggle, but there is a future hope of praise. God's upholding your life right now in the middle of the trouble and there will be an opportunity for you to praise at the end. And to look back and say, wow, Look how God has carried me through this. Look at how God provided and was faithful at every step along the way, even though it didn't feel like it at the time and I thought I was all alone. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. Now, you, you didn't probably notice it and recognize it here, But the way that we started this was, Oh God, Elohim, would you save me by your name? And then there was this, these other, every time uh, David would refer to who God, who God is, he would call him Elohim, Elohim, as he was going through. Elohim, save me by your name. Elohim, hear my prayer. It's just a general name for God. It's just a general term, God. But then in verse 4, behold, Elohim, God, is my helper. Adonai, the Lord, is the upholder of my life. And then down in verse 6, I will give thanks to your name, Yahweh. The personal name of God. At the beginning of the psalm, he sets it up by saying, would you save me by your name? And then by the time we get to the end, he's going, and I will praise your name. Your name. Yahweh, you are the one that I am praising. Not any other God. Not God in general, but my personal faithful Yahweh. The one who is. The one who is with me the one who has declared Himself to His people to be faithful and just and compassionate and merciful and gracious. You are the one that I have cried out to and You are the one that I will praise. I will give thanks to Your name, O Lord, because it is good. When you cry out in prayer, you can have a hopeful expectance that God will hear you and God will respond. You don't always know what it's going to look like. The trouble doesn't just disappear like that or have no other troubles for the rest of your life. But God is faithful to carry you through. He's right there. And so you can anticipate this time when you will make this future praise to your God. The great name of the Lord. Interestingly, back in verse 1, when you're looking at this in, in the Hebrew, Oh God, save me by your name. That save is, um, yesha, which is the same term as, uh, Yeshua, or in English, um, Joshua or Jesus. So, right there in verse one, you have, Oh God. Jesus me, by your name. Save me, by your name. Save me, by your name. In Romans chapter 10, it says, but what does it say? That the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the word of faith that we proclaim. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we have seen evidence of this, that Jesus died for our sins and rose again from the dead. Our biggest trouble is that we deserve the judgment of God for our sins. And Jesus came to take care of that. And if He has come to take care of that, He will take care of all of our other troubles too. We can trust Him with all of those things. We can trust Him with those dark things that we wish that no one would know about. Those troubles that we know are within us, those inner turmoils that we have that we don't want anybody to know about because it's a thing that we have to deal with. Nope. It's a thing that we have to deal with. And when we call upon the name of the Lord, you can be saved from those inner turmoils, inner struggles. In the same way that when you have those external turmoils and struggles, you can call on the name of the Lord and have confidence that He will respond. Back in... Uh, Psalm 54, in verse 7, it says, For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. I don't think this has actually taken place yet. But he's talking about it in the past tense. So convinced is he that this is going to happen, that even though it's yet to come, he's talking about it as though it's already happened. For he has delivered me from every trouble. David knows he's delivered me from trouble and I find myself in trouble right now and because he has shown himself to be faithful as the God who delivers me from trouble, I know he's going to deliver me from every trouble, including this one. For he has delivered me from every trouble and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. I want you to know this morning that whatever trouble you find yourself in, or whatever turmoil you find yourself in, you can be confident that God will save you when you call upon His name, our Lord, Yahweh, Jesus, our Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, we cry out to you even this morning. And we say, would you save us? Would you fill us with confidence in the future to come? Lord, there are all kinds of different troubles and turmoils. And some people have walked in this morning with great peace and I pray would they be able to rejoice with you for all that you have ever done. Father, there are others who are coming in this morning who are experiencing trouble and persecution from those who feel like enemies to them. Enemies that are enemies or enemies that are family that have turned against them. And Father, I pray would you deliver them from trouble as they call on you with confidence? And Father, there are those here this morning who are experiencing inner turmoil. And they're dealing with a trouble that is hidden and a trouble that they feel very alone in. And so I ask, would you remind them that you are God? The one who is the upholder of their life. You will never leave them nor forsake them. That, Lord, they may cry out and confess to you this inner turmoil with the hope that even in that you will show yourself to be faithful to deliver them out. And, Father, we ask for all of these things, as we give You our praise. In Jesus' name, Amen.